So wait a second, let's start. There we go. All right, Ron. So you're living in Florida, and this is the first time that we've uh, had a conversation together. Yeah. That you looked a little familiar, but not enough that I remember you, but I've had thousand students, so I'm not sure I can remember every one of them. It's all good. So you got a question. What can I do for you? Yeah, so uh, I, I think I saw one of your videos uh, talking about retreats. And uh, I saw something that was saying, uh, it was talking about whether or not people were ready for retreats. So I, uh, I was considering a 10-day uh, Goenka Vipassana retreat. And I just wanted to, to know from you, what are the, like, what do you think are certain requirements, I guess I should say? that I should want to meet before going to one of those? Okay. Um, first off, I have a question, and that is, has the Goenka retreat started back up yet? Uh, yeah, they have, but from what I've seen on their website, they're only accepting uh, vaccinated people. I would expect them to be intelligent. Yeah. So have you gotten vaccinated? Well, I mean, I haven't yet. Okay. Well, make that your first order of business. Yeah, well, if I want to go to the retreats, I'll have to. Well, if if you want to play the game correctly, then you have to. Why is that? Because people who are unvaccinated are at risk to spread the disease to others even when they don't know that they've got it. And so in order for you to be safe and secure and blameless in your own mind, I mean, what happens if you get a friend to get sick and then you have to wonder, oh, did I give it to him? Yeah, that's true. But uh, from what I've read, the vaccination doesn't uh, necessarily stop the disease or make you immune to it. It kind of just lessens the effects and of it. We're not talking about necessaries. Let's not talk about blacks and whites. Let's talk about probabilities. Start thinking wisely instead of like a child. Yeah, but I'm saying, you know, it doesn't necessarily lower the probability of you getting the disease and giving it to someone else, it only lowers the probability that you will have serious repercussions from it. Um, actually, it's much more complicated than that. And in all cases, it's better to get the vaccination than to not get the vaccination. Okay. There are no reasons that you can come up with that are valid for not getting vaccinated. And there are many reasons that uh, are valid for you to get vaccinated. And that's why so many wise people, including all over the place, you don't travel without it. You don't get into the retreats without it. The reason for that is because people are taking precautions. And you're out here because you don't see the danger and you don't feel the fear, you're not doing it. But if you worked in a hospital where people were getting sick and dying, I think you'd want to get vaccinated or get out of there. Yeah, you might be right. 
Well, I'm not just maybe right. I mean, this is standard operating procedure worldwide. The vast majority of people already understand this. In fact, I'm surprised that someone is intelligent enough to call me and yet is not intelligent enough to get vaccinated. That's a surprise. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I feel like it's like you said earlier, there's there's no black and white. There are a lot of opposing arguments on both sides and it could be seen. Either yes, way. that's correct. There are arguments on both sides and you've chosen the wrong side. Don't go to me with there's arguments on wrong sides. Every idiot has an argument. Every idiot has a side. Every idiot has his own evidence that he wants to present loudly. So let's not go into it anymore. Let's just let that drop because okay. that's how it is. Um, because you have to get vaccinated in order to do the retreat if you want to do the retreat. But I would suggest that you want to get vaccinated simply because that's the right thing to do. Which is a whole lot of what the teaching of the Buddha is all about, by the way, is figuring out what the right thing to do is and do it. Which mostly is generally figuring out what are the wrong things that we're doing and then stop doing. <laughs> See, that's another question that I wanted to ask you. I know it's partially semantics at this point, but how do you define right from wrong? I don't. What I use instead is Dukkha and Dukkha Naroda. What, what is causing dissatisfaction and what is not causing dissatisfaction? And in that regard, when you cause other people dissatisfaction, then that's not right behavior. It's hmm. very interesting. No, it's standard teachings of the Buddha. But that, in fact, one of the ways of saying, and in fact, a really excellent way of saying it is, is that the entire teachings of the Buddha is nothing but morality. It's all morality all the time. There is nothing but morality. And one of the immoral things that people do on a regular basis is pout and complain and, and backbite and backstab and uh, tell lies and uh, try to hide from the truth. That's all immoral behavior. And by doing so, they wind up hurting themselves and others. But when your mind is clean and you don't want anything, then you naturally tend to the truth. I'll definitely keep that in mind. Well, that's the whole point of it. In fact, um, to, to, to talk about the Eightfold Noble Path is to see it that there are four requisites 
there is one outcome and then there are three benefits from that outcome. But normally the way that it's taught, it's taught as ordinary Buddhism, that's taught as Sila Samatipanya. Rather than the nor noble is, is to start with Panya through Samati to Sila. In the sense that if your mind is already fixed and straightened and um, uh, you're happy and you don't want anything, you're unlikely to go harm someone to get it. If you're happy and secure, it's unlikely you're going to go steal something because you don't want anything. And all of that, you recognize that that's harmful to others. Because at one time you didn't want to get yourself robbed. Therefore, we don't rob other people. We don't take other things because we already spent this time getting our minds straightened out so that we don't want anything anymore. So this is the way of the noble is to see that when you don't want anything, then you're willing to go along to get along very happily. But as children, when we start off doing what we're told to do, we often resent it. We don't want to learn to school or learn the ABCs. We don't want to go to school. We don't want to clean up our room. We don't want to put down our cell phone and do our homework. And so we do what we're told to do, but we resent it. And so now there's a whole lot of adults in all over the world, but they're very common, um, mostly in the United States because they've gotten some political backing for it, is that they just want to rebel. They just don't like what's going on. Well, that rebellious nature that they have in their mind started off when they were kids. And often it doesn't even matter what you're rebelling from because it feels good to rebel from who? the man, the government, the authorities, the church, big business, global warming, whatever it is that you want to rebel from, it feels good to rebel. But the wise see there's danger in that feelings of rebellion. And in fact, people are going to the hospital and dying left, right, and center due to that feeling of rebellion. That it feels good to rebel until they wind up in the hospital. And then there's just hundreds and thousands of cases where people are saying, gosh, now that I'm dying on my deathbed, my last statement is, I wish I had gotten the vaccine. Too late then, it felt good to be in that rebel position for a long time. That's what rebel yell is all about with the Confederacy and all of that. Rebel is actually the position of the downtrodden or the weak or the victim. And when we were all children, we started out as victim. The question is, is when are we going to grow up and be completely free from all of that feelings of victimhood? That's what Anapanasati is all about. The Eightfold Noble Path is to make the mind strong so that you're a lion. Then you can do what you see is needed to be done because you're investigating it correctly. So this is what the Eightfold Noble Path is all about is to really look and see what's going on and then take the effort to make the change that needs to be done. And once we see what's going on and make the effort to change it and see that we can change over and over again, then we become delighted in the fact that we're champions now. We can do this. We can, in fact, clean out the mind. 
I can, in fact, see the rebellion within my mind and throw that rebellion out and then start figuring out what's the right thing to do. So there's many ways that we can apply the Eightfold Noble Path, but it all has to do with recognizing what kind of thoughts and feelings are unwholesome so that we can remove them and put wholesome thoughts in the mind. This is the whole practice of Anapanasati through the Eightfold Noble Path. And when you have those four things, when, by the way, the one that I haven't even mentioned is the one that's the most important, which is Sati, to remember to wake up, to remember to investigate, to remember to look at what we're doing, and then to evaluate it as, is this wholesome or not? Is this dukkha or not? Is this satisfying or not? Do I feel satisfied or not? Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, how are you? Good. Okay. How are you? And so, right. Let me finish up with one yep, one point, ahead. and that is we we're talking about sati. If we can't remember to apply the skills that we have, then we can't apply the skills. But if we can remember, that's what sati is: is to wake up and remember, so that we can apply the skill. And the skills then are is to investigate what's in the mind. Look at the kind of thoughts and the kind of feelings that you have. Look at the body posture. Look at what's going on around you and basically come into the present moment. This is what the real teaching of the Buddha is, is to come out of our bad feelings and our thought forms about the past and the future and all kind of things that we feel from fear and anxiety and all of those kind of feelings. We can deal with those directly if we can recognize them. The easy way to do it is by removing the thoughts that lead to anxiety. And then if we remove the thoughts that lead to anxiety and start taking some deep, easy breaths, then we can release that anxiety. It's actually physiological that it happens that way. And so, uh, when we bring these four factors of right sati, right investigation, right effort, and uh, right attitude, the attitude of a winner, the hot dog, I can do this. When we bring those things together, that makes the mind unified so that you don't want anything and everything is okay and everything is fine and you feel satisfied and content and safe and secure and uh, successful. So. That's basically the path, and we need to practice that over and over and over again to get yourself back into the state of satisfaction. Then we have a mind to split for work, and we can actually think logically, think correctly, think straight, and see straight, rather than seeing things through emotions. So, that being said, off the cuff, you have the idea of going to a Goenka retreat. Where is the Goenka retreat being held, by the way? Is there one in Florida? Uh, no, but there's one in Georgia. It's not too far. Uh, okay. Oh, I went to the one in Georgia one time. How was it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't really my style. <laughs> Generally, the. The most common experience that people have at Goenka retreats 
is because they weren't prepared for it. Yeah, I would I would say that for myself. In what way? <laughs> it was about it was about ten ten years ago, or I don't know how long ago. What's well, maybe eight years ago, and I didn't have much meditation experience. I think I would be fine now if I went now. Um, I would say that several things are needed in order for someone to be ready for the Wanker retreat. One of the things would be uh, because of the styles that they have is to have some experience sitting in the postures that they're going to be sitting in for a while. So generally they're going to sit for an hour. So you should practice sitting that way for an hour until it becomes comfortable to sit that way for an hour. Why? Because you're going to be sitting there hour after hour, getting more and more and more uncomfortable. Is that not right, Joe? Yeah, that's true. And your body is going to take a beating uh, if you haven't prepared. <laughs> and it's going to be hard to focus on much else besides the pain uh, if you don't have experience sitting like that. Well, that's another skill. Yeah. That no matter who goes to those 10-day retreats, part of the reason that they were set up like that was in order to make it intense enough for experienced practitioners to have a bit of difficulty. And so the, the, the Westerner who has no preparation at all goes in and sits down without that. That... Um, I don't remember exactly how many altogether, but I would put it in the in the neighborhood of about 30 retreats with Gawanka. I stayed with him at uh, uh, Igatpuri in uh, uh, at Donagiri for oh something close three years on and off, 1980, 81, 82, 83. And part of it was learning to sit for those long periods of time comfortably. So you will get the best benefit out of the Anapanasati practice that you're going there to do if you can sit through it comfortably. Because that's what was actually necessary. That's that's one of the shining ingredients that's, that's a requirement. Now, Asians don't have so much trouble sitting. I've got a stepdaughter who I first met when she's 11 and she's about 19 now. And every meal she eats sitting in the lotus posture on the floor, as do all the Thai people sitting on the floor with various postures that they sit in, probably none of which you can sit in comfortably. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, like I've been sitting for around an hour a day. Uh, I don't really feel too much discomfort. Uh, except sometimes like my legs start to fall asleep but uh, i can't get myself into the full lotus position um, well, that's not necessary yes that's that's not necessary not only is it not necessary it's um let us say it was a complete waste of time and unnecessary efforts on my part because I did train and got into and was able to sit in the lotus posture. 
in fact, the first time that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa ever saw me, I was sitting in the lotus posture, and I think that that caught his attention. And I can still get into the lotus posture, but it's an uncomfortable position to sit in. And to now, with a 14-inch piece of steel in the leg, that leg particularly complains about it, regardless of whether I'm doing it one or the other way. So, um, sitting postures are actually not important at all for what you're going there for. That the sitting postures are a part of the history and part of the, um, the living style of those who live in the tropics. Naturally, everybody's going to sit on the floor. Why bother to make furniture? <laughs> and you sit on the floor your whole life. But see, Westerners, they were picked up at the age of two and put into a high chair. They're actually put into jail. <laughs> Can I uh, say something about the Cuenca retreat? Sure. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing that you have to be prepared for is that, like, the teachers that are there, they're, they're not really um, trained in the same way that a teacher is in, like, other traditions. Because a lot of times they'll just refer to the videos or refer to what Goenka has taught. And it feels a lot of times like they maybe don't talk directly to where you're at then. Uh, and it can be kind of like, uh, if it can just feel kind of weird and kind of uh, even cultish, like, because it's just all deferred to Goenka. And maybe that's just my experience with it, but that was just the feeling that I got uh, was that, wow, there's not so much direction here. We're kind of watching these old videos from the 90s and everything is deferred to that. And there's not so much... Uh, um, discussion of the direct experience you don't really you don't really feel like yeah they're there is was my general thing and then they can be kind of harsh about the the bell and like hey you've got you really got to make it and if you're like really struggling they they're just like no no you cannot give up like you know because there's probably going to come a moment when you want to give up no matter how prepared you are and there is something to like pushing through it at a certain point, but then I, I don't know. I mean, looking back for myself, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I was ready for it was all. So yeah, but if you go into it with the right attitude and you're just like, hey, I'm just gonna relax and sit here for 10 days, like, and this is gonna be really cool, uh, you know, then it's fine, uh, you know. But if, if you go in there and you kind of, I don't know, uh, maybe view it as like a huge challenge or something like that. It's, you know, I, I don't think it's, uh, yeah, that it wasn't helpful for me anyways, in terms of that. But yeah, that's my general take on it. One of the ways that you could say it is, is that anybody who is absolutely completely prepared to go to a Goenka retreat does not need to be there. Okay, he just does not need to be there. He can go to the woods. In fact, uh, generally people who don't need to go to the Goenka retreat is because they chose to listen to what the Buddha said rather than what Goenka said. And what Buddha said was go to the, uh, to the forest, 
go to the foot of a tree, go to an empty hut, go to a heap of straw and sit down and mindfully watch your breath. And you don't have to go travel or anything like that. But in fact, it would be even more difficult for you to go to the woods or to the to the forest and practice there for the same period of time if you also had some angry volunteers in the woods with you banging and clanging bells and telling you to go sit under that tree and go sit under this tree. Yeah, no, I feel like the main reason I want to go to retreat is simply because I want, uh, you know, to go to a place that's free from other distractions where I can just sit down and meditate freely throughout the day. Yes, and well. All the forest, every state park, every national park, you can find exactly that. And there you will also be free of the authoritarians that are telling you what to do. Yeah, the question so is, to... do you have enough to know about what to do <laughs> on your own? Uh, well, I mean, I'd like to hope so, but I would be lying if I said that I know without a doubt that I do. Okay. Yeah, I know what I know. I go off of what I know. All right. Well, um, I would, uh, rather than say I recommend retreats, or rather than saying that I would re recommend this kind of retreat over that kind of retreat, I would be willing to say what's going on there and what you could do to be best prepared for it. Okay. And so part of what we're talking about is getting the body prepared. A second part of it is getting the attitude of the mind prepared. And that was something that Joe had mentioned, is that most people go in there with the attitude of this is a challenge, but I can make it. Other people go into it um, with the idea that they're going to do what they were told to do, but they begin to resent some of the stuff that they're told to do. And so then they spent know, part really, of their pardon. Uh, I was just gonna say I don't really see it as a challenge at all. I kind of just see it as, you know, time to myself. Okay. All right. Well, then that's a better attitude. But the there's also other attitudes that you can in include with that that will be beneficial. And one of them is the attitude of I can do this. No, there's no question that. about that. Well, certainly there is, there. and there will be that question. You're talking to me now as if you're trying to, you know, be a big, tough dude and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about not now. I'm talking about when you're in the retreat. That's when you're going to need that right attitude. Around like day four or five or so. Six. Six, <laughs> six. is the yeah, famous day. Right. Six is, it's like the, the turning point almost. Well, how rock bottom do people go when, in fact, there's no reason to go rock bottoms at all? Yeah. But that's how people have it is rock bottom is day six, because by day seven, <laughs> they can say, wow, I can only get two or three more days. I can make that. But for some reason, day six seems to be the rock bottom day. I don't think I can make it anymore. I've had enough of this. Okay. That, that the Cuenca retreat is bigger and tougher than I am is the attitude that people kind of get. In other words, they take on the position of being victimized by the retreat. 
And a lot of the retreat setup is to set you up to feel victimized so that you can come out of your victimhood. You can see it full blown. And in fact, that's what the remarkable point about the retreats is, is that they set you up so that you can see your stuff. They put you in body postures that you can't sit in. And they take away all your books and all your entertainment. So there's nothing to do and no place to go and nothing to think about and nothing to get occupied. And, and there's nothing delicious to occupy the mind. We can't just get up and go to the refrigerator. The food is bland. It's scheduled. There's very little that after uh, noon, there's a bit of a breakfast. There's a meal at, at lunch. But the whole point is, can you eat very little? And they talk about it. Now, by day six, because you haven't been doing anything and not going anywhere and already been eating too much, you begin to start eating less, but you can start thinking about eating less during the, the retreat because you're not going to be needing any of that energy anyway. And so uh, there's no gratification from the food. There's no donuts. There's nothing to occupy the mind. There are no books. They take all the cell phone, everything, and you're left with just your own mind. Which is exactly what it would be like if you went to the woods anyway. If, if you do go to it, there is a really nice forested area there that you can walk around in within the bounds and almost nobody walks over there. Uh, so I, I hung out there a lot uh, when I was when I was there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because so, the yes. place in Georgia is quite, it's quite large. It's like, it's kind of, it's very, very remote. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Let us say that by doing that kind of thing, you were kind of slightly bending the rule. Yeah, a little bit, but you do have free time to be able to, mm -hmm. you know. Okay. That's yeah. the point that I would like to make. Be aware, uh, Ron, that the rules are flexible, but they're not breakable. And that one of the things that they have is, is that not all of every session is mandatory that you're in the hall. Some of the hall sittings you have, let us say they're uh, not so heavy on, that's the time for you during a, a whole meditation hour to go to that park that he's talking about. Yeah, no, I read a little okay. about that. To stretch your legs and to uh, get some uh, some freedom of movement or whatnot, because you've been sitting a lot, a lot, a lot. Okay, and so allow yourself to get some exercise. That's one of the things that I find unusual about um, the Wanker's method is is that he doesn't use the walking meditation at all, but that it's part of the tradition that he was trained in in Burma. Burmese are really big on walking meditation. Thais are pretty big in it to it too. And Gawanka that he doesn't do the walking meditation simply shows uh, one of two possibilities and perhaps both of them are true. And that one is, is that he didn't get all of the education that he needed in Burma before he brought the technique to India. That he was a businessman in Burma and he started the uh, meditation course but before he was finished with it because of the government, all the Indians were kicked out in Burma in the 1950s, and he was one of the last to go, I think, in 1959. So that's one possibility, is, is that he didn't get the right kind of education. 
There's also another possibility, and that is, is that because you have seen, Joe, how controlling they are, that it was better or easier to control people if you didn't give them the freedom to go walking around and walk about. And the other possibility is, is that they could have, if they uh, put the effort into it, establish walking uh, trenches, which are very, very common. And a walking trench is actually the same path back and forth and back and forth. And it's normally about 20 meters. And so 20 meters this way and 20 meters that way or about 60 feet and there's boundary stones on each side. And so you can just take two stones and put them 60 meters apart. And now between those two stones is a walking trench. And if you keep walking and walking and walking, your life should turn into a bit of a trench. <laughs> and so um, they don't they don't do that with the um, uh, the Gawenka method, but it would be that easy to establish walking boundaries at whatever site that they were using. But they they haven't done that, and so um, it tends to to look like that it was just not part of Goenka's education, because it would have been easy enough to set up boundaries and stones for people to do walking meditations, which you will find in most other retreats. That's one of the things that makes the Goenka retreats the hardest, is because yeah, walking meditation is great. I I love walking meditation. <laughs> well. There's nothing to it. I mean, you could do walking when you're walking and make it meditation if yeah. you're walking by mindfully yeah. walking and walking and watching what you're doing. That's the whole point of doing a walking yeah. meditation is, is that you're walking, you're watching where you're going, you're watching what your hands are doing, you're watching what yeah. your feet are doing, you're watching your breathing and you're watching the boundaries and you're watching your mind and you're just, you know, out there doing your thing. It, trans it transfers a lot to real life too, because if you train doing it back and forth 20 meters and then you you're you're you can kind of remember like you you can remember uh and have sati like a lot easier in your regular life i've, I've found mm -hmm. um well one of the techniques is is that every time you turn around at the end and start back in the other direction you reflect upon what was i thinking the last time that i was here how was that and so we can use that turning point as a reflection time. And in fact, that's also a good point of uh, doing a really, uh, let us say, strong anchor of never mind, start again. OK, let's break this thing up. Maybe I have gone to sleep during that past uh, 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 walk down. But now that I'm turning around, I'm going to redouble my efforts. I'm going to re-get it back up and I'm going to have a ball. I'm going to boogie on down that path. Yeah, there, there can be kind of a there can be kind of a stern a sternness too. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to be as stern as everybody else uh, at the retreat center. Like you can kind of feel it in the air sometimes. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's just to encourage you that like you can you can definitely do your own thing because uh, it's uh, there's a very strict sort of like don't adjust your breathing like just breathe in in the natural way. But for me, what ends up happening is I ended up thinking for like two days, what is the natural way of breathing, and not realizing that like 
uh, you know, that's that's not. I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's not really uh, the the thing. I mean, you definitely can um, con- like control your breath a little bit, you know, and ha- take nice, easy, slow breaths, and it's much more pleasant. Um, and it, it, and it is quite natural, you know. Um, but there's a very heavy emphasis on that, and then there's sort of a minimization after day three of the the breathing. And uh, you can keep it in, you can keep the breath with you though, as you're doing the body scanning, you know, um, that's, that it's going to be there anyways. So yeah. And to not get into this, wait a minute, uh, the breath is not so important. Now it's all about the body scanning, you know, because yeah, that's, I, I just, I just disagree with, with that a little bit. And then the other thing is, is the videos are from the nineties and they're going to be talking about like television and stuff and you're going to be sitting there like wait a minute this doesn't apply to like like my life at all nobody's addicted to television anymore like you know and so just you are to keep the cell that, phones though yeah, what's that screen in general i feel yeah like i know but just the addictions are addictions and whatever news yeah. on the block and so maybe he should yeah. have said whatever's new today but yeah he said television, so you immediately just change that to cell phones or YouTube yeah. or internet or whatever, yeah. because that's what people are spending their time with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, def- oh, I, I know, definitely. I mean, we're way more addicted nowadays to computers than television, but it's still a little bit off-putting. Oh, no, the it. whole generation was just glued to the television. That was, in fact, yeah. the word that they used. Well, okay. this was a lovely conversation, but I have to do some more homework, so I'm going to be leaving now. But thank okay. you guys oh. for the wisdom. Oh, okay. Well, there was more to it than uh, if you want to hang around for for a bit, because we're you you've asked some questions and there's things to hear. Okay, I guess I'll stick around for a little more then. Okay. Uh, one of the things that Joe was saying needs to be thoroughly emphasized. All right, and that is the issue of consciously breathing is the actual teaching of the Buddha. It's in the Anapanasati Sutta, mindfully breathing in long and mindfully breathing out long is mindfully breathing in long and mindfully breathing out long, not just noticing the breathing as it is. Now, there's some technical reasons for that, and one of them is is that if you're applying mindfulness with each in-breath and mindfulness with each out-breath, then you're developing the skill of mindfulness. If you're just merely noting the breath and then the mind wanders away, it runs away easy because you've got no skin in the game. A clear example of that is, is that when you're watching, let us say, someone playing a video game on a laptop or a cell phone or something, and you're seeing all the movements and you're really into it, and somebody says something, uh, the guy who's playing the video game is going to continue playing the video game, and you're going to pay attention to somebody who says something. You're not, your skin's not in the game. So that means then if you're not actually controlling the breathing and actually playing the game with the breath, then any old fault that you have in your mind just goes right away. That is part of the training to make sure that you're breathing well, breathing consciously, and not only that, but by energizing the breathing, you're actually expelling more carbon dioxide and taking in more oxygen. 
But in fact, without the control of the breathing, jhanas are not possible. And I do not know where along the way, because Gawanka himself was not against breathing mindfully. It's the students and the tradition and part of the cultishness has happened with the Gawanka system. And I also see that's happened with um, uh, the Mahatsi and others. That that's part of it that we didn't get to in the last conversation that I had with Dan Ingram. But that it's really a major difference between whether you're going to breathe consciously and breathe with long in-breaths and long out-breaths or whether you're going to just let her rip and just do whatever because then you're not actually learning anything. Not only that, but uh, there's a there's kind of a way of looking at it, the difference between what is normal breathing and what is natural breathing. This technique is inviting you to start breathing naturally rather than breathing the way that you've normally been breathing. So let's get some air going. Let's actually take the effort that it takes. The effort is one of the Eightfold Noble Paths. It's taking the right effort, and one's right effort is to change the mind and to change your breathing. So that's an important point there, and I know that the Gawanka people will be against that, but I'm not saying make a lot of noise. Just mindfully breathe in and mindfully breathe out. And the important point also is to pay attention to your breathing. One of the problems with the body scanning is, is that people get lost in the technique rather than the adventure and, and get uh, lost to the adventure of the discovery of how nice the body feels and how nice the breathing is. It's really nice and comfortable, but they don't stress that part of it. They don't stress the gladdening of the mind, which is part of the Anapanasati practice. They even use the word Anapana, and they forget to use the word Sati because they've left not only the Sati off with the end of the word, they've left it out of the practice also. Okay, and so you have to be mindful to breathe in correctly, mindful to breathe out correctly, and also to uh, begin to mindfully take care of the thoughts that you're having, that the thoughts that you're having are in the here now. Thoughts about what we're doing right now. So if you're doing the body scanning, then you should have be thinking about the body scan rather than having body scanned and thoughts and body scans and thoughts and body scans and thoughts. The right way to do it is to have body scans and thinking about the body scans and actually experiencing the body scans and put some real energy into it or put some real skin in it in the sense of the investigation of how the various parts of the body feel. Because you're going to need that when the strong determination settings come is to really pay attention to what the body's doing so that you can do that evaluation that they're talking about. So gladdening the mind over and over and over again, because otherwise you'll be like all the other students and just get really miserable. Joe, you know that that's a misery loves company organization. Yeah, but there there are people that uh, that don't do that too. I found that people who had a very established practice after talking to them on day day 11, I think it's day 10 or day 11 that you start talking, they were like, wow, it was just a joy the whole time. And I sat there and was like, what? 
like nobody else was having this, you know, but there were definitely a few people who were like, that was just great. A great 10 days, wasn't it? You know, and that's kind uh-huh. of the, all right. The well, that's, that's the attitude to go into it. And that's the attitude yeah. to keep in it exactly. every day. Have that attitude. Wake up with that attitude. Every time you walk to the temple, as soon as you're entering the door, you're going to say, wow, this is going to be a really great session. I'm really going to get the, the best out of it. And I'm really going to be happy with this. Okay, work on that right attitude. That's an important point is to get your right attitude. I can do this. I can handle this. This is great stuff. Wow, what a nice breath this is. That's the way to to take care of of the Goenka retreat. You've got to have the right attitude about it. And most people are not prepared. So I hope that this little pep talk that I'm giving you will help you get prepared mentally for it. That so the, definitely helped. Okay, great. I'm glad to hear that. And making sure also that uh, the the point is the Satipatthana. We have all four things, and yet they're not paying much attention to them. That they spend almost the entire process on the body. But there are other things going on with the body. And in fact, don't look at it as just sensory awareness of the skin, but go deep into the body and feel the emotional turmoil. Feel the blood moving around. Feel what's going on deep into the body. Really experience the body. The way that they do the body scanning, people tend to stay on the surface. Rather than going, because in fact, there is a connection between the feelings, the Vedana and the body, the Kaya. You can, when you feel uh, an emotion, that emotion has sensations in the body. So when you feel frustrated, where is the frustration in the body? When you feel sad, where is the sadness in the body? When you feel anxious and untight, where is the uptightness? When you feel really pissed off and angry, Where is that feeling? These are the things that we need to experience uh, because you're going to go through all of it. You're going to go through such a roller coaster ride. (laughs) Everybody goes through a roller coaster ride. Can you with your hands in the air going on your roller coaster ride or you want to be hanging on for dear life, which is almost uh, the entire group? (laughs) I got my hands in the air. (laughs) <laughs> all right well, let's go for it then go get your shot and get into that course and enjoy the heck out of it when when are you going when are you going well so i haven't made an appointment yet just because like they're already backed up until like march and uh so i have to figure out where i have time with my school schedule to actually you know be able to take 10 days off so I ha- I'm not entirely sure yet, but it most likely will be around April. Around there, hopefully. Well, you got a lot of time between now and then to practice too. So that's awesome. Yeah, I guess I'll just stick to my normal practice for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, try to go deeper, like you said. Yeah, actually, the way that we've been talking, it sounds like you want to put down the, the computer and walk into the Goenka retreat, but it looks like right. it's going to be 
months and months from now. So um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways of getting prepared for it is to keep calling me so that we can discuss some of the finer points that I've just been pointing you at the highlights because I was like uh, uh, giving you a goodbye kiss while you're about to walk in there. But there's really a whole lot of stuff that we can um, point out and discover. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because, you know, like I said before, me joining this call was like kind of an impulsive thing, but I definitely want to have a more in-depth conversation with you when I have more time to. I definitely okay. will be calling again. Excellent, excellent. Well, we see you, Ron. Go do your All homework right. <laughs> if you like it. <laughs> hey, Ron. All right, you guys have a great rest of your day. Bye. Yeah, you too. Bye. So, Joe, what you got on? Uh, not too much. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've been uh, I've been kind of trying. We we had talked the last time about kind of setting up my life to be uh, um, so so that I would take take time during the 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 day to to because we had talked about this period of seclusion and how I I don't really have so much going on right now and we described uh, um, that I would stay here at my house during the night, but then go, um, to the woods during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've been doing that for about a week and a half now and uh -huh. it's, it's going pretty well. Uh, but so, you know, it, it's also up and down, you know, and like, and stuff, but yeah, you know, <laughs> um, well, but I, I don't really know. I, I mean, I, I wanted to call, like I wanted to call, but then I was, I, I don't, I don't really know what to ask or anything, but uh, sometimes it's like that. So, <laughs> well, we, we can, one thing that we can redouble all of the information so that you may have fact been missing a piece or two of it. Yeah. That's and good. the other possibility is, is a pep talk that you can, you know, just feel good about the situation um then in fact i can say one thing is congratulations for spending the day in the park day after day after day because that is a real kind of seclusion because what would you be doing if you were at the house uh i don't know i'd find a lot of things to do <laughs> right cell phones and laptops and and um, uh, tinkering around the house and trying yeah. to fix broken things and whatnot yeah. like that. This yeah, is that's why, why we discussed. That's why we discussed it because I, I mentioned that that I find it difficult to not be on the computer and to not tinker. So well, <laughs> there, ah, uh, there are so many places that we can look at it like that, in the sense that, um, okay, here's one. A person who is on a diet is much more likely to succeed on that diet if there are no donuts or things like that in the refrigerator that he left them in the store. Okay, yeah. that's one way of looking at it. Another way is the old joke in South Carolina. They had uh, high school students that were the bus drivers for the school buses. And one of the exam questions to find out was um, uh, how close to the edge of the ravine, can you take the bus and still be safe? Mm -hmm. 
And the answer to that is you get to be as far away from the edge of the ravine as you can to keep the bus safe. You don't go close to the edge. All right. So with these kind of analogies, we can recognize that being far from danger is less danger than being close to danger. Right. And so I congratulate you from taking yourself away from dangers, even if you get bored when you're in the woods. Now you can deal with the boredom directly rather than dealing with it the way you've always deal dealing with it. And that is get something to occupy the mind. Yeah. Right. So it's still to, it's still difficult on, on that note. It's still difficult to not. My my new thing becomes changing posture or uh, or deciding oh should I be walking now or and and that becomes my 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 new sort of distraction thing of like oh I should go over to this spot or I should go to this spot <laughs> but uh -huh. yeah but but it's also a good time to rem remember yes so now that that's excellent that that kind of stage is actually. Um, uh, quite an advanced stage. You're getting down to the real monkey mind. Okay. All right. And that's excellent. What now you can start to practice is the issue of being satisfied and keep telling yourself, no, I am satisfied with the way things are. I don't need to go to the other tree. This is good enough. I'm satisfied that I'm going to actually practice the skill of being satisfied. Okay. So that means that you're already making some great progress being away from all of that stuff, because now you're beginning to look at the times when you're just, let us say, for some reason or occasion, you become dissatisfied. So now you can recognize that and deal with it directly. And say, no, I can be satisfied. Okay. I can be uh, that lion. I can, in fact, gladden my mind right now. And not only that, but wow, I'm so glad that I'm able to catch myself being depressed or bored or uh, sad or whatever like that. Because used to, I just go off and just find something to do so right. that I could get rid of my feelings. Now I can actually deal with my feelings. So congratulate yourself for that, that you can actually deal with them directly now. But the thoughts will come was, oh, I'll feel better if I go move to that other tree. <laughs> <laughs> you see the level that you're at now? That's congratulations material. <laughs> yeah, so now you're ready to go. Now you can really get into that. So when the, those feelings of boredom and discontent or whatever comes up that's what we need as are going to be the objects that we're going to be looking for this is definitely now going to be the top of your don't do that stuff list and so you're okay. going to be on great guard for it so when that stuff comes up hot dog i see you i got you that time wow you didn't yeah. even get a chance to make me bored before i caught you <laughs> The other thing that I'm noticing a lot is a lot of thoughts like uh, I must be doing this wrong. What what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Uh, what what am I? How do I even know what I'm doing? Is this leading anywhere? Okay. Uh, those sort of thoughts. Yeah. All right. Well, now you've touched on another hindrance. Yeah. 
And I, and I, I know, and I recognize that, yeah. Okay, well, now that you recognize it, when thoughts of doubt come up, we can say, aha, uh-huh, I can see that doubt. And guess yeah. what? The answer to the doubt is not solving the question that the doubt arises. The actual expression is, is to recognize that I don't need to know that information in order to be satisfied. Right. I don't have to solve any of those problems that arise in the doubt that I can just be satisfied without knowing the answer to that. That's a really important trick of handling doubt is to recognize, you know, this may not be a very good meditation teacher, but I'm going to be sitting here satisfied anyway, because I think that's a good thing to do. Or maybe Anapanasati is not the right thing to do. Maybe I should be practicing noting instead. And then the answer to that, well, it doesn't really matter what I'm practicing so long as I'm satisfied doing it. So let's just be satisfied. Okay. And so the doubts uh, bring on dissatisfaction. And you can see that, in fact, the doubts will bring on restlessness because part of the restlessness is saying that you need to go solve the problem that the doubt is bringing up. The doubt brought a question. We got to go get an answer to that question. And so now... Anapanasati, or what Gawanka is talking about, let's do some body scanning and see that stuff building up in the body. The doubt and the frustrations will make us tense and uptight. So we can breathe again. And see, you know something? I'm actually quite satisfied. Even though the mind has doubts, I can be content and happy without knowing those answers. It's hard this when you when you train your mind a, a different way for so for so long that my for so long when something like this comes up, I, I, I do just come up with with something else to to do or and I and I notice that. I notice that and even if I am totally safe and secure, my you know, I, I, I will come up with things and, and I'll have to keep reassuring myself over and over again. No, your, your money's okay. You don't, you don't need to worry. Like everything's okay. Isn't it amazing? But you keep talking yourself, you keep nourishing yourself. You keep telling you everything. The money's all right. There's no problem with the money. There never really was any problem with money, but you were taught to worry about it. Now you can teach yourself. No, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. You'll eat today, and that's all you need to worry about. And you've already got that, so you don't need to worry. Right. I keep saying that, yeah. (laughs) Everything's going to be all right. So this is the the correct practice then. So when the doubts come up, and the doubts about money, the doubts about am I practicing right, the doubts about this, that, and the other thing, recognize a doubt as a doubt. And so you know something? I don't have to have the answer to that question. I could be happy right now either way. Without knowing okay. that, I can still be satisfied and happy and content. So okay. practice, and this is what we mean by the practice of sukha. This is step seven of Anapanasati, or step six, rather, is keep practicing sukha. But you need to let it build. Everything's okay. Everything's so fine. There's no problems. There's no worries. So we gladden the mind by talking in these kind of concepts so that we actually feel satisfied finally. Yeah. And there really are no problems. There really are no worries. And that's just so relieving. Mm -hmm. 
just to allow yourself just to sit and relieve. What a relief it is. I don't really have to go anyplace or do anything. Yeah. yeah. And so those are the ways of working with the doubts and the worries and uh, uh, the problems and the restlessness that comes to mind. You can say, oh, right now I'm okay. I don't need anything. I can be satisfied right now. And that needs to be practiced over and over and over and over. And, and guess what? Over and over and over again means just throughout the rest of the day or tomorrow or whatever like that. You're going to spend the rest of the day or tomorrow doing something or another. Why do things to make yourself miserable when you could do things to make yourself good and feel good instead? Yeah. So keep talking yourself into feeling good. Talking yourself into being satisfied and content. Everything's all right. No problems. No work to do and no place to go. And... Oh, what a relief it is. Should I should I talk to myself the same way when I wake up, too? Because I, I'm struggling. Uh, well, you're with... going to talk to yourself anyway. You're not at the stage yeah. yet of, uh, of, of no longer talking. So right. make sure that the, whatever you are saying is that it is nurturing, not critical. Right. That it is gladdening, not uh, depressing. That when you catch yourself complaining about something, recognize that and say, aha, I see that I'm complaining about something. When in fact, everything is okay. I'm satisfied with it. It doesn't, I don't have to complain about it. I don't need it. <laughs> I'm okay without it. So yes, that's the whole question that we should all be asking ourselves. And the way that it was originally asked was the student says, you know, Going to college is four years of hard work. And the old man said to him, yeah, but if you spend the next four years working hard anyway, then at the end of the four years, in one case, you've got the degree. And in the other case, you just got four more years of hard work to do. Okay, so. What they're saying is, is that you're going to be spending your time. Why spending your time in hard work and drudgery when you can actually give yourself a diploma over and over and over again and graduate from all of that work? Yeah. I, I remember a talk where you talked about uh, that you can set up the game so that you win all the time. Every, I, I like every that time. analogy. Yeah. Well, we'd all do that anyway. When we when we set the game up to lose, that's because we secretly wanted to lose anyway. We wanted to prove that we were still a victim. <laughs> and when we recognize we do that kind of stuff, then we say, hi, dog, I don't have to play games anymore because I'm going to win every one of them from now Yeah, so therefore I'm satisfied. No play, no games to play, nothing to do, no contests, no complaints. Everything is okay. Those are the kind of words that you're going to say. Well, hello, Marcus. Hi, Marcus. nice to see you. Nice. Uh, okay, nice to meet you, Joe. Nice to meet you, Marcus. Sorry for dropping in late. Um, yeah, went on a bit of a shopping That's trip. It's great to have you. <laughs> Where were you guys? What were you talking about? We were talking about um, having 
uh, a solid period of time to practice. Like days and days, just going to the woods and getting away from all the distractions so that we can start dealing with the mind. And uh, uh, Joe and I were talking about two primary ones that come up is boredom and the other one is doubt or questions. But anything that comes up, just never mind, there's no place to go, nothing to do. And I'm just going to sit here in the woods and enjoy the day. And in fact, looking at the leaves of the trees and the grass is a whole lot more entertaining than listening to all the complaints that I have in my mind anyway. <laughs> all yeah. the doubts and all the misery. So why not I do a real investigation of my surroundings? Mm. Be be in the about be around. I mean be in the here now. Yeah. I'll be on a retreat on the seventeenth, uh, but it's it's kind of a um camping retreat. So we're just getting camping supplies ready. Now that's oh. the kind of retreat. I don't even know why we use the word retreat. <laughs> I do not yeah. understand why the word retreat has gotten popular because I played the bugle. I was actually a naval Navy bugler and I had to learn all the particular bugle calls, right? And retreat is one of the bugle calls. We know what retreat is all about. Why do we call a meditation retreat a retreat? I think it might be a, Christ, a Christian thing because uh, I, I know in a lot of Christian traditions, they, they talk about, uh, yeah, and if you read old Christian literature, they, they mention the, you know, retreat. Well, retreat and, is what the old lion does to go away and lick his wounds. Hmm. All right. So I don't get the idea of the word retreat anyway, that the word that the Buddha would be using would be the word seclusion, which has a completely yeah. different connotation to it. Yeah. Where Luke. Where is your retreat? Is it going to be cold for you, Marcus? Oh, or? well, I, it, it'll be it might get down to 12 degrees Celsius, but that's warm for most people, I think. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's fine. Where are you at? Uh, Thailand, north of Thailand. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like for for me here. I, like I, I talked to Domorado about setting this up for myself, and it's it's just too cold to camp here realistically. So I set it up so that I'm coming back here at nighttime and then going during the day because it's getting that's below cool. freezing. Yeah, getting below freezing and yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to see people are are doing that, taking an opportunity to whatever yeah. it takes to just to get away, to get into a retreat or um, uh, getting the log out of the bog, getting into seclusion. It's actually one of the monks from um, Wat Umong, um, which is the um, the the temple that. Um, uh, <laughs> Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa sent some of his monks to. Um, in here in Chiang Mai, one of the monks from that temple has organized this this retreat. And then it's at another temple a bit further out, but um, there's there's no accommodation for the for the people staying. So so it's just bring your own tents. That's great. 
Mm. I'm I'm glad to hear that they're starting that kind of stuff back up. Yes, that uh, I've known about the uh, the Wat in uh, Chiang Mai that's been associated with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa for many, many years. That, in fact, I think that it's really uh, the building compound itself is a really, really ancient, ancient old place. That's yeah, it's up really ancient. interesting. Yeah, really interesting old stuff. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years old. That if the World Heritage Site people found out about it, they'd make it a turn it from an active body into a treasure. And I think that we're better off just leaving it be as a watch. But it's it's literally a fortress that was done, uh, gosh, eight nine hundred years ago. It's a really ancient thing. Mm. But before COVID, know. there were a lot of a lot of tourists going to look at it. Yeah, many, many. So, um, but you're not going to do the retreat there. You're going to do it um, out in the woods someplace. Um, further out, I think it's about an, an hour and a half drive, I think, uh-huh. up north. Are you going to be the only Farong or are there going to be other Farong? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But the the monk um, the monk speaks very good English. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, there should not be hardly any conflict at all between what you've learned from me and what he's teaching because we're students of Pikachu Dasa. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Yeah. What's his name? Um, pra Hans. He's uh, half German, half Thai. I think I might have known him. Yeah, I think so. How old is he? Forties, I think. No, not the same guy. No. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not the same guy. No, the guy that I'm talking about is would have been in his forties, forty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, good luck with that. And uh, um, also, uh, anything in particular, Marcus, that you wanted to talk about today? Um, oh, I've got, I've got a good one because um, <laughs> I I like sleeping. I like it. Uh, I like it a lot. And I had I had a few days uh, this this week where I was I got up early and. Um, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit and uh, sit down and enjoy, enjoy my breath. And uh, that was nice. Yeah, I felt very like energized after and awake. Um, and then uh, sometimes I, I woke up and I had the alarm. I thought, hey, I could, I could sleep. That's nice too. And uh, but I, it's either I um, take a, a formal sit or or I just go back to bed. I think both of them are quite enjoyable. And I don't want yeah, to so beat myself matter, up. Then, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah I yeah. don't think it matters too much. Um, right. But I do recommend that people start today. The first thing that they do is they get a good attitude for the day. Mm. Get, get, your, get your mind in gear. Instead of thinking about, hot dog, I've got to go do all of that stuff. We should start having thoughts about hot dog. What a wonderful day this is! I've got it's going to be so easy. There's got to be nothing to do. Whatever is on the plate or the schedule, we can handle that so easily. 
that we can just easy peasy through the day. That's the way of and and with school teachers, that's obviously the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been I've been doing what I used to do was I used to do all my preparation on the evening before um and maybe that would the preparation would last up to like midnight or something and then I'd go to bed. Now it's more I go to bed at around ten o'clock, um, not doing any work because I don't have to do it. And then uh, I, I get up at the right time and, and I prepare before the lessons actually actually start. But no no rush, no rush at all if I if I wake up early enough. And it's quite just enjoyable and, and relaxing, slow and steady. No rush, yeah, and and it's actually when I work that way, I found it's a, it's more um, effective, I think. Well, that's good. Mm. Making sure that you're beginning to have an easy life—that's yeah. the way that you're looking at it—and we have to practice that because we've gotten in such a bad habit of needing to get stuff done having pressure, having stress, having work to do. And so now we're going to start practicing being on top of the world. Got mm -hmm. nothing to do. Everything is easy. And with that attitude, everything does become easy. So, um, Joe, did we cover your questions about uh, yeah. uh, taking care of a business out in the woods by recognizing yeah. that there is no business to take care of out in the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have to go sit under that tree over there to be satisfied. I can just sit where I am and be satisfied. That's the way of going. Exactly. exactly. Marcus, when does your retreat start? The 17th. That's uh, two, right. less That's than two, two weeks now. Less than two weeks, okay. Well, maybe I'll see you before then. Yeah, yeah. So I think that we can kind of finish now if you don't have anything else. No. Good to see you, Marcus. We've been going yeah. right now nice for an you. hour and a half already, so we'll let you go. Thank you so much, Joe. Good to see you again. Yeah, and good to Marcus see you. Yeah, nice to meet you, Joe. Nice to meet See you. See you, Damaretto. Yeah. Okay. See you. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.